Welcome, 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 welcome to uh, Problem Busters, episode two. Ollie, how are you? I'm really good, thanks. And yourself, mate? I'm very good. Thank you very much. Glorious, glorious day, full of rain, as it is in Britain. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully it's a little bit better in France, which we'll find out in a minute, because today I'm really pleased to say we've got Nick Haidar with us, who uh, runs a business growth consultancy now out of France that works with tech companies called 423. Welcome. Thank you very much. And I can share with you that it has rained nonstop in uh, northern France uh, all day and all of yesterday, in fact, as well. And I believe it will do the same tomorrow. So, uh, so just to make sure we're all in the same boat there. We are all in the same boat. And, uh, and in terms of our topic, what we generally ask to begin with is uh, what is the problem that you can see that needs solving? And, uh, and why is it a problem right now? Um, so as, as a glass half full person, I don't like to talk about problems. I like to talk about challenges and, and, uh, opportunities and all that sort of stuff. Um, but basically, as, as you said, Ollie, uh, what I've been doing for the last, uh, eight years is working with, um, vibrant, uh, ambitious, typically small technology companies who want to grow. Um, and have really enjoyed doing that. And as part of that, we've had a lot of experience with um, companies who, who saw London and the UK as a, as a trampoline into European markets. Um, so we've worked with a cybersecurity company, we've worked with a travel tech company, um, artificial intelligence was another one. And, and all of them kind of followed a similar trajectory, which was if we can start in London, you can help us start there. That's a really good base for moving into the European Union, which is, you know, 500 million consumers and a really exciting technology market. Obviously, um, with the decision and, or the referendum that happened in 2016 and, in, and the ensuing kind of political decisions that were made, um, the UK, as of uh, the 1st of January this year, was no longer a member of the European Union. And as of the 1st of January next year, um, all of the rules and regulations will change. Um, and as someone who's seen how small tech companies prosper from you know being able to work on both sides both uk and uh, across europe um it struck me as um quite sad that that would all kind of come down um and um having listened to a few people talking about the fact that whilst political decisions have been made um, and, you know, uh, the country has, has, has made its choice, there are still links that, that need to continue to be forged and, and, and maintained between schools, between twin towns, between NGOs that work together. Um, um, and, and, and it struck me that as somebody who works with uh, in, in the sphere of kind of commerce, that somebody needs to do something to help not so much the larger organisations, the big banks, the 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 the, the, the PLCs, all have enough shock absorbers in their systems to be able to relocate staff, relocate buildings, re relocate operations. But the smaller businesses, um, and in I think 2019, the UK exported something like 93 billion pounds worth of services into Europe. Um, the smaller businesses uh, aren't so lucky. Um, so some of them will just have to close down operations, but for some of them, I think it will be a major, um, a major hit. Um, if you couple that with the fact that all of them, all of us, are dealing with a, a, a pandemic at the same time, um, that felt like a, pro <laughs> a problem that needed some 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 kind of attention. Um, and and from a personal perspective, um, I believe fundamentally and fervently in international cooperation. I believe also that European businesses still want to work in London and in the UK. Um, European um, individuals, you know, bright employees want to come and work in, in the vibrant market. That is the London tech market that all three of us know. Um, and therefore, I didn't feel like I wanted to throw in the towel. So I didn't. And, and, and that's, that's, if you like, um, in a, a very long way of giving you the problem that we're, we're looking at, at dealing with in a tiny way, because I'm only you know, a small company. And what did you do? Because uh, you, were, you found yourself living in London um, very early this year, am I right? Yeah, so, so um, 
as, as someone who, who, who takes this very seriously, both from a personal and a professional point of view, I've obviously been studying what went on politically over the, the kind of the four years between um, the, 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 the referendum on the 23rd of June 2016 and, and, and the ultimate kind of exit from, from Europe at the end of 2019. Uh, I've been trying to understand the impact that would have had on my business, on my clients, um, and, 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 and therefore by extension on, on other businesses that are in the kind of same technology sphere. Um, I felt that there was, uh, as, as we all know, the whole Brexit debate is a very divisive one. Um, and, um, we, we have to put aside which, whichever side of the fence we were on with, with that particular debate and talk about the fact that it has happened, it is real. Therefore, we need to provide information. We need to make, take steps um, mm. as businesses to get ourselves ready for what is going to happen. So I spent a lot of time looking at that. Um, I'm very pleased to say that I now have a partnership with one of the UK's leading um, EU regulatory um, experts, um, a lady called Sitska de Groot, who, who for seven years represented the Federation of Small Business, the UK Federation of Small Business in, in Brussels. Um, as, as you probably know, the UK has something like five million um, small businesses. Um, so when, when things like the GDPR data legislation was being drawn up, she was helping represent what UK businesses and small businesses needed. Um, so she's extremely, uh, her and her organization are extremely um, uh, well-versed in what's going on and in trying to predict what might happen. So with her help, what we've actually been doing is building an ecosystem of experts um, on both sides of, of the water, if you like, to be able to help um, businesses depending on which area they're in. We primarily focus on, on technology and therefore service businesses. Um, so we've, we've been building this ecosystem to uh, provide information, to provide analysis, um, and ultimately to provide support to help businesses through uh, the, the, the changes they're going to have to make um, as we move from, from the transition period to um, the UK being a third country um, with relation to the European Union. So um, you're saying you have a team of experts to build this uh, sort of ecosystem to help yeah. businesses transition. Um, are there common themes that, that, you, that you find are picking up that a lot of businesses need to sort of address to help with the transition? And, and if you could give us a breakdown of um, sort of the expertise and, and it, it of each of these experts and what they what they tend to address in businesses that, that need to transition over. Um, so, so, what what we've looked at is is if we think about technology companies, the, the, the kind of things that they do. Um, the, the 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 first thing is that um, um, you, there's you, you will have heard a lot and read a lot about lorry parks and trade and queues at the border and a lot of the current um, a lot of the current kind of press coverage is about import and export and trading companies right and 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 rightly so because there there is going to be kind of major impacts going on there but um, what we focus on is service companies. Now, a service is anything that isn't a physical good. So it could be software that somebody sells. It could be a teaching service that you offer through YouTube. Um, it could be financial services. Um, it could be any number of things. Um, and, and, and the first point there is that um, whilst the trade stuff will get sorted out because the UK does trade with other non-EU countries and has worked out how um, you know, uh, rules of origin rules need to apply, what forms need to be filled in, how the VAT regimes need to work. Um, there will be delays because there's a huge, you know, 70% of our food imports are coming from the EU, etc., etc. That's all going to have to now go through a level of regulation and, and customs and documentation. So hence all of that lorry park stuff. What people aren't quite clear about is that um, with the services businesses, the system is going to be completely disparate. So before what we used to have was something called home country principles. So I run a consultancy. I'm in the UK. We're part of the EU. I have the right to go and offer my services uh, based on the rules we have in my home country, which at the time was the UK, anywhere in 27 other countries. That's how it worked. I can sell my software 
anywhere else in those 27 countries. I can provide my podcasts for sale or whatever it might be. Um, those are services, right? Sounds like a good business to get into, Jonathan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what happens now is we move from home country, as in whatever is uh, okay. If you're regulated and okay in your home country and your home country is part of the European Union, you can operate anywhere. With, with some kind of idiosyncrasies, but pretty much that's the piece, right? So now what's host country? What that means is, um, if I'm a lawyer in the UK, I no, now no longer can be a lawyer in 27 other countries unless I make my qualifications um, are, are, are recognized in 27 times. They may have rules that say I have to do different things. I may have to take 27 different levels of professional indemnity. Um, and actually, and this is, you know, one of the, 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 the stark things that comes up is um, they may now be able to legally discriminate against me coming in to try and sell my services because actually you're not part of our club. So we are going to offer this contract or this um, service to European company, we're going to favor those in front of others, right? So all of that stuff is coming in. So that's, that's the, the, the first and probably most fundamental part um, to answer your question, Jonathan, is we've got expertise from, from people like um, Seedska that I was talking about who can look at the different industries and say, okay, in your gig, boys and girls, you need to think about these things, et cetera, et cetera. So that's thing one, the services generally. Then we've got the more kind of mundane things, legal representation um you know um the, 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 how will your business need to operate what are the laws you need to abide by now in 27 different countries um accountancy uh, there was a very simple um uniform kind of vat recovery service that was offered to all sorts of of of, of sorry to all uk businesses that now changes so there's a whole kind of vat story there mm. um the, the whole piece about employing people now is going to change so, 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 so the first thing is, is that we'll help companies look at which, which industry they're operating in and what particular legislation goes around that. So, for example, it may be of interest to your, yourselves that the audiovisual industry, um, at which Britain is by far and away the leading player in Europe, um, is going to be extremely restricted for UK companies. So, so having an understanding of those, that level of um, uh, kind of individual industry idiosyncrasies is the first piece of, of support. Secondly, we're looking at most of the kind of key professional services, so legal support um, in different European countries to ensure that if, if somebody wants to operate in whichever way they go, that they are um, obviously compliant and uh, operate within the law. Um, accountancy practices are um, now, you know, they, they vary country to country. Those will have to be um, supported. So we, we, we have partners that can provide that kind of capability. Company formation, if that's what the, the, the organization wants to do, if they want to create their own um, representation um, in one of the EU states. Um, HR uh, management and, and, and human resources law is another thing that, that varies differently um, and greatly. So, so kind of support on that area. Um, another thing that actually um, I think a lot of UK businesses may not be aware of is that um, GDPR regulations, whilst the UK has said they will continue to um, uh, adhere to um, the um, the the, the uh, regulations around around data protection GDPR. Um, if a company is offering, if it's running a website for EU customers or selling stuff into EU customers or collecting the data of EU um, uh, private individuals, uh, that company is now required to have a physical representative. Um, in the EU states where those where those uh, private individuals are, so suddenly you know they, they need, Whoa, wow. G yeah, exactly. They, these are the kind of representative services that, that that currently companies I believe aren't hugely aware of. We're working with partners in that space as well who can provide that capability and that expertise. So it's it's very much um, depending on what the business is in what the business is and the industry they operate in. It's quite specific, and what we're trying to do is say we're not experts in any of it, but what we can do is provide the expertise in all of it. Mm -hmm. And I was reading a, about a study from um, from Aldermore that found that in the UK, fifty nine percent of SMEs 
don't fully understand their supply chains and one in 10 believes they would not survive any kind of disruption to their supply chain. So I think, I think the thing that, that concerns me is that, that folks probably, A, don't know what might break yeah. in their supply chain and B, just have never had to think about things being in any way harder than they are right now. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's been really hard for, for UK SMEs um, if, if, if you think about what they've been through, uh, I'm reading currently now that the UK government is saying they've all got their heads buried in the sand and they're not ready and only 30% of them are ready or whatever else. You know, if, if we go through 2019, there were, I think it was April, October and December when the UK was going to drop out and everything was going to finish and we were all going to have. So there were three false alarms. Um, and, 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 and what we know or what I know from, from working with, with, um, EU, experts is that in in the period immediately prior to each one of those three false alarms there was a huge rush of okay we better get ready we better get um, um, trained on what we need to do we better learn the legislation and as soon as each one of those false alarms turned out to be a false alarm or, or the can was kicked down the road uh, they all disappeared again so 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 you know the partners that I'm working with said they had kind of feast and famine three times during the year um, so, 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 but, but to be fair to those SMEs, it's, it's happening, it's not happening, it's happening, it's not happening three times. Then we get into the transition period. Then somebody organized a pandemic and they're all trying to stay alive, you know, and, and keep, keep, keep their businesses afloat through that. Um, so, so that it's probably a little bit understandable that they haven't yet had a chance to get their heads around where they should be. And coupled with that is the fact that even now today, no one knows what the final outcome is going to be. The reality is we know a lot or we know enough for people to be able to work on a worst case scenario and what they should be thinking about. We don't actually know the, the details of what is going to happen. Is there actually going to be a deal or is there not going to be a deal? The reality is whether there's a deal or not, it's not, there's not much difference between the two because the changes between what we have now and what we're going to have are huge and that's where they need to get, that's where they need to get ready. Okay. So say I'm a, I'm a sort of a, I'm an SME and I do yeah. uh, business into Europe yeah. with all this uncertainty and I've come across the, uh, let's say the problem busters podcast. <laughs> so I'm hearing this for, for let's say the first time, is there any sort of checklist or is there anything like I, I can have to, to sort of prepare myself to help, you know, lessen the blow or. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we, we, we can go through a few things that you as an SME should think about and then and then I can kind of point you in, in, in some directions. So I think key areas you want to think about, we've touched on some of them already, but think about your staff, right? How many are EU nationals? We've already alluded to, you know, if we think, I'm being very selfish and talking about the technology companies that I work with, typically the development team, the product team, the support team will be taken from any number of different, um, you know, EU countries. I think that that's a, that's a very common uh, kind of profile for, for, for tech companies in the UK currently. So how many are EU nationals? How many have applied for settled status? So will they be able to stay after, um, the end of the year? Are you looking to hire more people? Do you know, do you typically hire them from the same places? You need to think about that because if you're going to hire people next year, you're going to have to pay for them. Um, if they come from the EU. And so as think, I understand it, that they will actually need sorry. to have a job before they can um, enter the, the UK. Uh, yes. As of next year, there is a, a points-based immigration system. So you will have to be able to tell them. Uh, sorry, you will have to be able to say that they are coming to a job that they're going to earn. I think it's £26,000 or, or whatever yeah. it is. You will have to pay for that, £1,024. Wow. Um, well, depending on their level of, of English language knowledge and qualification, et cetera, oh, yeah. et cetera. But, but those kind of things are kicking in, right? So first thing is uh, for your SME, Jonathan, think about your staff and think about that properly. The second one is what Ollie's already alluded to. I better think about my suppliers. How much of the stuff that I'm doing now currently comes from the EU or how much of my suppliers? Because, you know, we're talking about complex supply chains here are supplied from people in the EU because, you know, there's, there's a knock-on effect there. Um, if we think about a tech company that, that, that you know, um, maybe they've got um, outsourced development somewhere in the EU and maybe every now and again they want the project manager from that outsourced development company to come to their London office and sit down with them and talk about the next three projects they're about to launch or um, actually the other way they want to go over there. You're going to have to think about those things because currently now that guy coming in may have to pay different taxes. There may be different... Um, 
there may be different legislation about uh, his, his work status. He's not, you know, um, he's not just coming over for a business meeting type story, or he or she. So think about your staff, think about your suppliers, think about mobility. That's what we've just touched on there. Do you need to travel to meet your customers? Do they need to travel to meet you? Do you need to go and see suppliers? How often does that need to happen? Do you bring in short-term contractors? All those sorts of things and their ability to move from one place to another. Um, we may get into, and again, this is where there are lots of known unknowns. We may get into silly levels of detail where um, actually going in through a customs border um, you may have to pay or fill in a form around the laptop that you use for work because you're going to work there for three days or whatever else. It's, it's that kind of stuff around mobility that you need to think about. So um, staff, suppliers, mobility, data we've already mentioned. If you are uh, collecting the data of uh, EU private citizens, if you are transporting data or moving data from the EU out of the EU, if you're if you're um, hosting websites pointed at EU citizens, um, then then you're going to need representation. Um, and also, we've already talked at length about the fact that you need to think about now how your ability to sell your services um, has gone from I'm selling it into Europe to now I'm selling it to 27 different countries who have 27 different bits of legislation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, those, those are probably the key, the key areas that you'd want to start thinking about, Jonathan. Um, in terms of the question you asked, is there, um, is there um, kind of information about the government? So government.uk has a site called Transition. So if you go there, it has actually a, quite a comprehensive um, question wizard. So it goes through and says, you know, do you travel a lot? Do you export? Which businesses are you in? Um, et cetera, et cetera. And then that will give you a lot of things to think about. It won't give you lots of answers. It will give you lots of areas that you need to, um, get ready about. Um, in, in, in terms of, um, problem solving, what we've tried to do is, uh, try and help businesses with that. So, um, shameless plug for 423 website. We have a thing there called the, the, the Brexit readiness analysis, which, which basically allows a business to go through and answer 25 odd questions, takes five minutes, completely painless. No animals get harmed in, in, in the, uh, in the process. <laughs> um, and then we'll go back with a, with a free report, which says, okay, these are the areas that, that you really need to think about. The other thing I think that, that is probably worth calling out is that we've, we've spent quite a lot of time pulling together sources of information on Brexit because it's not just UK government information. If I'm selling into Greece, I better know what the Greek government is going to do or thinking or whatever else. So um, I don't know if you can find it anywhere else, but um, we have definitely put up um, the links to all of the... Um, all of the 27 EU states own Brexit guidance, plus the government staff, plus a whole load of other sites. So um, on 423.com, I think we're not very bright at marketing, so we've just called it Sources of Information on Brexit. Um, um, and uh, there's, there's a whole list there that, that, that people can, can look at. Yeah, I've, I've had a look at the website. It's really good. So um, if you make your way over there and you click on to the, there's like a Brexit guidance area as well. You can fill in some of the forms that uh, Nick spoke about. We'll drop it in the show notes and we'll also host it on our website um, so uh, people can, can go through and, 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 um, and get ready, you know. Mm. So would you, as a small business owner in England, would you be thinking it's time to just get out of business because the next couple of years is going to be too hard, or is that too simple? Um, there, there's, there, there, there is, um, as a glass half full person, Ollie, um, I think there's a you know, kind of, my, my belief, and it's not just my belief, is that out of chaos there is opportunity, right? Within chaos there's always opportunity, which isn't to say that things are going to be total chaos, um, but there is definitely going to be change, um, I think out of that change, as we all know, it, 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 it's not survival of the fittest, it's survival of those that are most able to adapt is what, is what, what the, the world is really about. So I think there'll be, be a lot of things that change, that, that change. I don't think it's going to be easy. I don't think there's any sugar coating here. Um, and I do think that businesses have to take a long, hard look at what they, you know, especially in the wake of, of, of the pandemic that we're all still living through. Let's be honest, we're not out the other side yet. Um, except for maybe you Kiwis, um, but um, at least um, until next winter, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so 
you know, each business has to look at the position they're coming out of, co- or, or, or that you know where they are, where COVID has left them, what they can do, what they still want to do, where the appetite is, what what they're about, um, you know, and, and what they want to do for their customers. But I also don't think we should we should be completely bleak. One of the one of the reasons I enjoy um, uh, working with uh, technology companies and smaller businesses is because I, th- I think entrepreneurs are a little bit like 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 a water that they find the path right they find the way um regardless of 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 what political rocks are put in their in in their path without any doubt it is going to be significantly harder than it has been right um the 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 best trade deal if you speak to people that that look at trade deals the best trade deal ever done was by was was CETA the, the, the canadian european trade agreement that was done and took over seven years between Canada and the EU, and that is light years behind what we have now. So, in terms of ease of, of kind of frictionless trade and all those things that you hear, it is going to be a lot harder. Is it going to be impossible? No, it's not going to be impossible. Can businesses still work? Yes, they can. Um, will they be able to do exactly the things that they were doing before? No, I don't think so. So, you're absolutely right. They're going to have to think about those things. But I think um, th- there's no reason to, th- to throw in the towel. Um, there is a, there is reason to, to to look at it, to think about it, to get informed and educated, and then to make um, rational decisions, which is pretty much what every business owner has to do on, on almost on a daily basis. As a consumer, now, if yeah. I'm if I'm just um, let's say Johnny, the consumer walking down the road, um, yeah. how how likely is this um, is is Brexit going to impact me as a consumer? So you can. You can sort of give us an example from a technology standpoint, if any services that we use from the EU, or just in general um, in a different industry. So, so uh, there, 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 there's some kind of um, oblique and and le- and more immediate things that we could talk about. So, um, so the oblique ones would be that you know, right now you want something. Um, you guys probably go on some really, really cool websites, but most people will go on Amazon um, and order what it is that they want. Maybe they want a, a kind of stool so that they can have proper posture when they sit at their desks. People do that sometimes. Um, some people even invest in ridiculous standing desks. I indeed, think, right, indeed, Jonathan? indeed. Yeah. Right. So Amazon, obviously a huge company with loads of lawyers and loads of researchers and all the rest of it, has worked out what's happening. And Amazon has now, before what used to happen is if you were a UK supplier, um, or a European supplier, they put some of your kit or some of your product in European warehouses and some in UK warehouses. Now they're saying, no, 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 UK stuff in UK warehouses, um, European stuff in European warehouses. So um, what does that mean? That might mean, Jonathan, that some of the, you know, if, if we were looking for that um, uh, amazing uh, telescopic desk and... Um, if we were looking for that amazing t- telescopic desk and it happened to be an Italian uh, designer that made it, maybe Ollie won't be able to buy it anymore. You know, it, it, it's things like that. Okay, wow. so, 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 so y- y- there's no point me going into the queues at the, um, at the border and Kent being a lorry park and all of that because everybody else is, is, is going on, on, on that horror story for you. But, there, you know, there are other tangible things that, that, that you might need to think about. Um, I mean, they're, they're really silly things like um, if you want to go on holiday to the European Union, you can still do that. You'll have to stand in a different passport queue because you're not in the uh, EU citizens one anymore. But I just like that so much because I felt so smug when I got to the UK with the <laughs> UK passport and every I mean because as someone that grew up outside the union and on the other side of the world (laughs) I really understand what it's like to come from a place that's trying to sell the apples to everybody else and and is coming up against the apple growers of England and France that are preventing New Zealand apples to come in right and so I, I really appreciated it when I got here and I was like so basically I get on a plane and I arrive in Greece and then I sit on the beach and there's very little in between, you know, yeah. and that's, I find it really difficult to imagine that changing, if I'm honest. Yeah. So, so, so other than that queue, now it's silly things like if your passport's only got five months left on it before it expires, you won't be able to travel, right? I think the other way, um, you know, um, it, everybody in Italy, for example, has got a, a what's it called? Um, 
identity card. They were, they were able to come to the UK with just the identity card, not the passport. Passport's a bigger deal in Italy and France than it is because everyone's got an ID card. Now they're going to have to show their passport, so that kind of hits them. Um, the booze, cruises, you know, let me take a white van and, and, and go to Calais and fill it up and come back. That stuff's going to change. Um, um the you know if if you were just nipping over on holiday we all have a thing called an ehit card a, a european health insurance card which basically says because you're a member of the european union um we'll treat you in our hospitals and if one of our people gets sick you'll treat them in your hospital that's the way it worked and it costs you nothing right um i think it's officially called e111 or something that's all gone now so you're going to have to take out health insurance or get a big bill and, and you know etc etc so there are a number of different both um directly tangible and less tangible things that, that are going to um the, 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 the other one is the telcos have said they won't necessarily um start in, imposing roaming charges again but that doesn't mean that they won't it just means that they said they won't necessarily do it so you know you might you may find yourself with those stupid bills that that were, you're probably too young to remember them, Jonathan. But <laughs> but um, you know that we used to get when 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 trying to doesn't phone. include me in that because I am <laughs> old enough to remember them. <laughs> you know, so 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 I'm 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 for, unfortunately, um, you know, what what we're talking about here is we've had 40 years of being in one system and now we're undoing it, and it is a little bit like trying to take the eggs out of a cake. It's not going to be without without uh, uh, levels of discomfort should we say oh yeah uh, my concern is that means no more uh, potentially no more spotify streaming streaming over in france well as as, <laughs> well, as, as, as i said my uk contract. yeah i mean as i said to you that the for, for some reason the av and streaming services um and and this is actually quite funny because um in doing the research around what i've been doing you know we looked at a lot of target companies um, you know who we might want to approach, and you know who we might want to market to. And um, when you're looking at streaming services, I was I found that I was actually researching two types of company: either um, religious organisations of all faiths, or pornographic sites of all <laughs> of all tastes. So there was a bit where I was thinking, I really hope my wife doesn't walk in at this juncture, or anybody else walking at this juncture, because I'm looking at all sorts of strange sites. But um, Imagine being the account manager for t both types of business. You'd have a pretty interesting week when you were calling on your clients, both it, ends of the spectrum. Yeah. If in, in, in terms of problem solving, one of the problems that I think was hardest in my career to solve was um, I was working at a telco that was giving out um, uh, number blocks, and um, a number block wasn't properly assigned, and a, a religious organisation was given. Um, <laughs> Was given a number, which was actually a sex line. So you try, you try and oh, fix no. that problem. That, that that was a hard one to fix. But fortunately, we're not talking about that on today's podcast, so uh, we can there leave that alone. <laughs> what's the mood like in France um, regarding what's happening in the UK and um, and the Brexit scenario that we're working through? COVID and uh, keeping the economy running is is kind of highest on everybody's agenda. Um, by a long, long way. So what it was like last year, I don't know, because I was based in the UK then. Um, but it is still kind of surfacing. And there's a level of incredulity at some of the things that are going on, some of the votes that have recently been taken in Parliament. Um, they're trying to make sense out of things like everyone sticking their heels in around fishing, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, but there's also a bit that I think... Um, Europe is a little bit moving on. They're, they're, they're kind of, um, they're, they've accepted that this is happening, that this has happened to a great extent. Um, I think France is being slightly more, if I read the reports correctly, slightly more, I was going to use the word intransigent, I don't quite mean that, but slightly more hardline in some of the negotiations in some of the other countries. Um, but um, I, I still think if you scratch the surface, people are thinking, are they are they really doing this? Um, but but everyone's got so much to be getting on with it. That's what they're getting on with. And I probably don't qualify to speak for the French nation, having been here only a few months. So, uh, well, I'm quite grateful to be on a on a podcast with two people who speak French. So that's uh, that's certainly more more closer to the culture than I was previously. 
There you go. Just about, just about speak French. <laughs> that's that's two of us. Really? <laughs> so maybe between the two of us, there's a whole person that speaks French. <laughs> not, very, not either one of us. European, this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. There we go. Um, so, to, as SMEs as a whole in the UK, is yeah. there anything that consumers can do to help lessen the blow to to, to consumers? Um, like farms and, and things like that. Uh, I'd imagine they'll get hit pretty hard. Um, um, that's, that's, a, that's something that I hadn't really pondered a lot, Jonathan. Um, is there anything that consumers can do? Um, I mean, you know, you know, every SME is also made up of consumers and, 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 and every consumer knows people that run businesses. So yeah. I think there's a level of um, us all having to work this out together. Um, there's probably a level of patience. Why can't I get that anymore? Because why is it taking so long? Because um, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, it's 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 um, that's, that that that's that's an interesting question. Yeah. Um, I, I do it in the sense that, um, for example, um, there's a there's a lot of I guess there's a lot of uh, sellers on on places like Amazon or ebay and stuff like that and rather than uh would it be helped to say okay well it will take maybe i don't know a bit longer or it's a bit more expensive to get it from the uk to just prefer to buy in the uk to sort of help these businesses survive that transition and, and get their sort of um i want to say the supply lines but but just you know help that turbulent period for for a while yeah i mean to to, to, to an extent i think you're right but um um, I'm old enough to remember in the early 70s uh, they had a kind of buy British campaign um, and, uh, and I think a, a, a lot of countries are doing the same now after COVID they're all trying to you know heavily promote understandably you know their local industry um, but there is a bit where actually um, the market kind of I'm not talking about completely unregulated markets, but a regulated market does find its right place. And yeah. if the right products are coming from, you know, if consumers want a quality that is only available from, you know, say Italian consumers only want a, a, a product that is only available. It takes Scotch whiskey, for example. I was just to be in the supermarket the other day and was amazed at the amount of malt whiskey, not just kind of, um, um, kind of, uh, standard stuff that you get but proper decent malt whiskey you know if consumers are going to want that and we hope they will then then it's probably good that they they keep the levels of demand up so that you know the the exporters or importers or the, or the technology yeah. companies and developers find find ways to do that so but you heard it here first folks if you want to support your local uh, your local industry you need to drink more Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or did you did you have a slightly bigger point, mate? <laughs> it, it may have been a bigger point, but let's go let's go with yours, Ollie. It, 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 it's easier to fathom. That's all good. See, that's very interesting. I was on a round with the sort of buy British uh, sort of campaign. That was that was a long time before I was even uh, uh, well, I was even around. So I, I think that's that's quite interesting to see uh, to have that sort of perspective on on when. Um, a particular um, narrative is pushed and, and, and just to see how that tends to sort of, well, everybody just ends up buying what they yeah. want anyway, if that makes I sense. I mean, as, 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 mm. as people, my, my, my life or a lot of my professional career has been around product. I'm a big believer in, you know, it, it's, the product isn't good because it's French or Italian or English. The product is good because it's been properly thought through by people understanding the people who are going to use it. What problem is it solving? Because that's what products are about. Mm. Um, and therefore, I'm a big, big proponent of, you know, the, the right product has to has to win, not not just because it's got a different flag on it type thing. So um, I think I'm always going to go that way on that question. Mm. Fair enough, and uh, and it's interesting, you know. I, just touching back on the the buy British, um, it's been huge in New Zealand over the years. Buy New Zealand made. Um, it's also been quite big in Australia. I can see the the stickers and the logos for each of those campaigns because they've run my entire life. Right. Um, and and it's a big deal because people have, in a different sense to Europe and England have seen the influx of Chinese goods particularly, yeah. um, but goods from all across Asia, right, whether it's from Japan or, or elsewhere. Um, 
and they've seen how that's affected the local market. And so there's this understanding that, um, you know, if you buy local apples, if you buy local anything, then you're supporting the team and the team is small and we've got to stick together. I wonder if... Um, I wonder if we're going to see a bit more of that camaraderie, not just because of the Brexit situation, but also, like you were saying, Nick, because of what's happened with COVID and uh, and people getting a bit of a a jolt to realise the value of the community to yeah. them and then yeah. to the community. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly I've, I've been quite struck by what I've seen in France with, you know, I go and buy the bread. And it says on the bag, this bag was made by local producers. That the bag is, you know, the paper bag that the, the, the bread is in. Um, and 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 you see a lot a lot of the advertising on TV now is um, these are French products or locally grown products or, or and, and and not just that, you know, French insurance company, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, and and I'm seeing similar things in Italy. I, th- I think there is a a drive because of COVID to um, you know. For, for people to think about that. And actually, that may be one of the interesting kind of things that come out of this pandemic. We, we've got so used to this global economy. Actually, have we got the balance wrong? Should we, should we be thinking a little bit more about Clearly, on the ecological side, it helps us. Um, I'm, I'm not into jingoistic drum banging on any on any side, but, but you know, I, I think it's important that we do kind of think about Look at that in the round and, and, and think about all of the angles on that on that piece. The, the 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 flag on the bag is both positive and negative, and I think we have to we have to kind of think it through carefully. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So that's quite interesting then. So if we're if we're looking to a post Brexit future, yep. Um, what you've just touched on uh, on on maybe we've got the balance wrong or, or will things sort of balance out as we go forwards um what is your view um is it likely we're going to sort of go back into the eu or um are we are we i guess we can only plan for what's happening which is brexit but what what are your your views on on a post brexit um, um landscape I, I i i think and and there are people far better qualified than me that politically it's very hard for the UK to rejoin the European Union anytime soon. If you look at just the makeup of the European, of the UK Parliament, um, there isn't a party in the UK Parliament now that is talking about rejoining the EU, right? For whichever reasons, um, government, opposition, you know, backbenches, whatever, there isn't. There is no political drive in Parliament, there may be outside, there are lots of pressure groups that were set up between referendum and, and exit um, that are still operating. Um, so politically on, on that side, I think that's going to be very hard. Um, the other thing you've got to remember, this isn't a one-way street, right? Europe's just going through what Europe's going through. Ireland is saying today that they're building, that they're basing their budget um, for next year on a no-deal Brexit, which means a retraction of their economy, they think, of 3%. Um, so that's how they're planning. You know, they're not going to turn around if if the UK suddenly says, oh, do you know what, we think we got this wrong, um, and change their minds. Um, so, so um, and and probably if, if the UK does want to come back, um, then the terms won't be as advantageous as the terms that the UK had, you know, um, the, 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 the rule, I believe, is if you want to join, you've got to take the euro. That, as we know, would be quite a divisive thing in the UK, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So for all those number of reasons, I don't think it's, it's anything that's going to be happening anytime soon, which is a bit why I'm doing what I'm doing, because I do believe in forging links and relationships and international cooperation and all those sorts of things. Um, so I, th- I think... Um, I think it's going to be a bumpy ride in the short term, um, just because um, the the decision making has been kicked down the road and kicked down the road and kicked down the road. There's 79 days left, right? There's 79 days in about five hours, I think, or something. As I say, there's a ticker on my website. I can't, when I looked before this podcast, it was six hours, so I'm guessing we're about five hours. Um, um, I think there may well be some last minute kind of we'll keep some negotiations going around certain industries, which will mean that there may be 
Um, we might move from a transition period to an implementation period around certain things. Um, and I very much hope for a lot of UK and European businesses that that's the case because, you know, the longer we have time to, to actually for people to, to, to prepare properly and, and, and adapt, the better it's going to be. Um, and, and obviously, you know, the, the, the other unknown is, is how this pandemic plays out for all of us. So, yeah. Um, in in the short term, much as I keep saying I'm a glass half full person, uh, you know, I, I, I think the watchword here is people have to prepare, people have to get informed, people have to think about it. Um, it you know, th there are going to be changes, there are going to be bumps in the road, there are going to be things that we used to do that we can't do, so you better bloody work out what those things are uh, or how they affect yeah. you. Okay. Yeah, and I guess the first step of getting informed and knowing what to do is to go to 423.com. Uh, uh, there could be worse ways of doing it. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, what, what, what we've tried to do with, with all of these things is we are not the experts, but we know where the experts are and we would like to bring you to the experts. And um, which expert you need depends on which business you're in, what your what what problem it is you're trying to solve in, in, in the theme of this podcast and, 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 and take it from there. Awesome. It's 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 quite interesting looking at the at the international perspective because I think that folks from outside of the EU and the UK don't realise just how how much movement and trade and um, interaction there is between the countries, um, and especially folks from the states. You know, you you leave the states once a year, twice a year. You know, you don't you don't have a long weekend in France it's yeah. just a very different proximity you know um, yeah. um, flying across the from coast to coast maybe you do that a couple of times a year or or down the country but you know and I th it's just such a fascinating situation for me because I didn't move to the UK I moved to Europe mm. that's exactly how I thought how I thought about it how I talked about it um, I'm going to go over to Europe and you know things seem to be happening over there yeah, yeah. It's 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 such an interesting time. For, yeah, and, for and, and you know that that that's one of the you know I'm in Lille. Why it's an hour and a half on the train to London. If I point the car the other way, I'm in Brussels. If I point it slightly north, I'm in Amsterdam. It's an hour to Paris, um, and it's a you know I I just believe in all of this stuff, right? No one's got the right answer, um, but we're a lot. You know, it sounds really crass, but we really are a lot better together. Um, and, and, and what we're trying to do in terms of problem solving is, is try and keep some of this together. That, 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 that's, that's, that's what we're trying to do. Awesome. If you could recommend one book or TV show or movie that you've, uh, that you've come across recently that, that inspired you, what would that be? Or maybe a couple, if you fancy. Uh... Yeah, I saw that question. I thought that was a cheeky one because there's so many. Um, and, and I wasn't quite sure. If I'm talking about business, so yeah. um, what's it? it's on my shelf there, the autobiography of Andrew Carnegie. Um, Andrew Carnegie, who was, you know, um, went to the States from Dumbarton, I think it was, in Scotland, um, at the turn of the last century and was other than a hugely successful businessman. There's always a little bit of in the right place at the right time, but there's a level of principle there. Mm. Um, and and somebody, somebody who was a real mentor for me and probably the best boss I ever had gave me um, that book. And, and um, I, I, I'm not sure if it kind of changed my life or anything, but, but it, a, a lot of the principles and the belief that you have to do the right thing for people and business has to be ethical... Um, I, I, I found hugely um, inspiring. Also, the fact that the you know where I grew up in North London, um, the local library was financed by him and his Carnegie Foundation because that's where he put his money back into his you know his riches into into helping develop education um, in Scotland where he was from and elsewhere. So 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 that would be one. Um, as somebody who. Um, it's funny, actually. So when I was come to France, I picked. I got a huge library of books at home, and lots of business books. And I'm just looking and see. I'm being consistent because the ones I've brought are on my bookshelf here um, are the ones I'm calling out to. As somebody who believes in any business is only as good as the people that are in it, and you have to look after the people. There's a brilliant book called Drive by Daniel Pink, 
which is about what motivates people at work, and it's not money. Um, money is part of it, but it's not money. And I really enjoyed that book and, 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 and learned a huge amount from that. Um, but it would be absolutely remiss of me as a Lebanese person um, not to say that, that, that the book everybody should read is The Prophet by Khalil Gibran for two reasons. One, it's a brilliant book. And two, actually, um, he, he was a friend of the family or he was a friend of my great uncle, um, big friend of my great uncle. So, so a little bit of reflected glory there and, uh, and plugging the Lebanese flag there, which is what I said we shouldn't do, but you know, we'll make an exception on this podcast. If that's that's part of the flavor of the continent, right? Um, Absolutely, and, and as yeah. somebody as somebody who lived in Australia for many years, um, I have enjoyed the flavours of Lebanon for sure. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, one one of the first things I had to do when I got to Lille was just find out where I'm going to buy my tahini from and where all the Lebanese shops are. But fortunately, fortunately, we found them. And my, my daughter's in Spain at the moment, and she found a couple in uh, in Sevilla as well. So, so you know, she we, we, we've been swapping pictures. Look, we're everywhere. We're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> So, so if, you you could, if you could point out a recipe for folks to have a look at um, for Lebanese food, particularly vegetarian food, right? Because you are vegetarian these days. Yeah. What would it be? Uh, well, I, well, I'll tell you what, what I have for breakfast, which is the, the simple, it's not a recipe, it's just a really simple but perfect meal. Uh, you get tahini and then you go and get, um, I think it's pomegranate molasses. You put the pomegranate molasses. It's a little bit like the Lebanese version of peanut butter and jelly that they have in the States, but infinitely better because I'm prejudiced. <laughs> um, you put those two together, you mix them up. It's an absolutely perfect way to start the day. And you eat it with a bit of bread. Lebanese bread, obviously. Is there another bread? Um, but that's, that's, uh, that, w- that would be a quick one. Other than that, we could be here for hours when, while I go through my mother's repertoire already. So, so we'll start with that. And if we do a, if we do a Lebanese recipe podcast, I'll be very happy to, um, to oblige. <laughs> Wonderful. Right. I think we better stop because everybody's going to be hungry right now. I Good. love pomegranate. Good. Yeah, try, tr- honestly, try it. Tahini, uh, we call it the Bistram Man, but it's, it's pomegranate molasses. Mix it up so it just changes colour. Dip your bread in it. Tell me if the world doesn't end right there. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank you so much for, uh, for being on the show. And, Cheers, guys. Uh, Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. Listeners can contact you at 423.com. We'll put the link in the show notes. And you can follow the Problem Busters podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook at Problem Busters. So pretty simple. Search us, find us, follow, like, subscribe. And until the next time. Beautiful.